ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sells podcast, where a manipulative comedian talks to a relationship therapist straight out of Gosford. Wow. <laughs> Shit. And okay, we're we, still going with it. We tackle uh, issues of relationships, dating, and sex with a male and a female perspective. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Crush Organics. Crush Organics have a huge range of CBD products. They have well-renowned CBD oil products. I use the, well, I'm actually using the diamond one now. I've upgraded platinum. Woo-hoo. I've gone from the platinum to the diamond. Uh, it has dramatically improved my sleep. It helps alleviate anxiety, um, insomnia, uh, and it just helps you feel good. Helps you feel nice and relaxed in this uh, crazy um, either lockdown or just out of lockdown world that we're living in. It's uh, a product that you need on your shelf. So Crush Organics with a K, crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil for 40% off. They also have bath bombs, gummies, creams, and pet products. So... Make sure you go and get those. We're also uh, sponsored by Solid GPS. Solid GPS. Nearly 50,000 vehicles are stolen every year in Australia. And to help recover stolen vehicles, your Aussie-built Solid GPS tracker can be placed anywhere inside your vehicle. It'll last for months on end. Everything is included with your order, and there's Aussie staff ready to help. Just go to solidgps.com, enter the coupon code NEIL at checkout to get two months of tracking for free. And shout out to Nathan, who is a listener of the Neil and Jordan and the Sex Sales podcast. He uh, is the mastermind behind Solid GPS. Good on you, Nate. That's awesome. Eliza, how are you going? Good. Pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, by the time this one goes out, I think we will be out of lockdown in Sydney. So no. about bloody time. It's going to feel very strange. Uh, I have shows on again. If you live in Sydney, uh, com slash tickets every Thursday at the Potts Point Hotel. And we'll, look, we were planning to take them all over Australia and then obviously the lockdown hit, but that's still on the cards. Not sure when. There's obviously been a, a delay there. But hopefully by next year, we'll be uh, doing this show all over Australia in capital cities and regional centres. So, so stay exciting. on the lookout for that. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Good for you. Woo. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How are you? Anything exciting? Anything new to no. report? No, nothing. I literally do the same thing. Every time you check in with me, it's the same. You know, just paddle boarding, going to the beach, watching some horror movies reading that's nice it. sounds yeah. very wholesome wholesome shit and work a <laughs> shitload of work which is well, always fun you've got to do but that getting along here yeah. you've got to make a living unfortunately yes <laughs> yes we do i've been watching a show with the, this this girl she's the same age as me and her uh, she has a sugar daddy or had a sugar daddy who was 85 so Ooh. yeah she Is just that... stuck at it a couple more years <laughs> Would have been a bit better, but yeah. <laughs> Is that tempting? Would you would you have uh, ever gone for a sugar daddy if you were ever mm. in that financial position? Hell, most of women who go for sugar daddies aren't even poor. They just no, no. <laughs> they just want to live a life of luxury. I I couldn't do it. I have been offered many times, but um, 
it felt it just feels weird. I it wasn't it never sat right with me like a How did they position offer? of power. Um, a couple of times, I it was usually just messages on either social media, once in person, or maybe twice in person actually as well, where it was basically just like, I want to spoil you, like I've had okay. arrangements before, like, you know, I, I've previously paid someone, you know, between one and $5,000 a week, you'd only have to see me once a fortnight, like, I, and I buy special presents, I pay for your bills and things like that. Wow, but, that's, I'm not gonna lie, that's a tempting offer it's tempting five thousand a week to see someone once a fortnight it ah. was it's the per, there was a very like they all had the same personality type and it was like a i have what you need and like i am above you and this kind of thing and i think that the reason i people would always be the people that approached me about this would always be saying they were really like sold on the fact that I work in like a therapy, social work field, helping people. And they're like, you spend so much of your time looking after everyone else. Let me look after you. Just fuck me though. Like, <laughs> by the way, you have Just to look have after sex my with dick. me. Yeah. Although once um, I did get a message from a really nice man and I was tempted because I felt so bad for him where he just said, I'm really lonely and I just, you don't have to do anything. I just want someone to come to the movies with me. I just want someone to like talk to. And I was like, oh, sorry. No, I felt really bad. But um, can't you, aren't there escort services you can just pay for? Yeah. Is there something about, is it similar to, well, I guess a lot of men who who are struggling to uh, court women. I like that word court. It's so aristocratic. I shall court you, my lady. Uh, <laughs> which is that a lot of people will say, well, if you just want to get laid, why not go pay for it? I don't think it's that people just want to get their rocks off. I think they want to be desired by yeah. women. And, and I think the reason why they cold called me or like approached mm. me rather than going on the website is because they would have assumed that, which is true, like correctly assumed that I haven't had sugar daddies before. So it's not something I've, you know, they would be the only one or it's right. not a common thing. So I think that's the difference when people are like, why don't you have escorts? Because they're going to be one of 20 clients or one of 10 clients rather than having someone be like, you're the only person I'm seeing. And oh, right. wow, so I've never experienced this. I've never had a Louis Vuitton. Oh my God. Like that kind of thing. You're so amazing. Teach me. I'm so interested in business. Like that's what they want. They would, every single guy that has ever approached me about this has said, I want someone to mentor. And I'm like, get fucked. I've already like <laughs> achieved everything I want to. So uh, no thanks. I want something to but, mentor. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a power thing as well. Yeah. 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 Damn. <laughs> how do we well, get onto this? <laughs> speaking of power dynamics. Yeah. Actually, I'd be interested to know Same how way. many women have been, um, for all the female listeners, there's a lot more on this podcast than the Neil and Jordan one. Uh, tell <laughs> us, have you been approached by a sugar daddy, either in your DMs or in person like Eliza? What did they say? Were you ever tempted to do it? That would be interesting. I think we should do a podcast on sugar daddies because yeah. a lot of times there'll be posts on Facebook and they always get a lot of engagement. So I can understand where uh, old media is incentivized to um, you know, push these sorts of posts out there. But a lot of comments will say, well, they're both consenting adults, so what's the big deal? If, they're both, if it makes them both happy, they're both getting what they want, what's the big deal? And they make a fair point, but it does uh, 
make relationships at sex seem overtly transactional. Look, if you really want to get into the uh, nitty gritty of human psychology, many would say, and I, I think, although I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not in, entirely sold on it yet, but I think all human relationships are transactional to some degree. But yeah. when it's uh, so clear cut as a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship, it does seem just so money driven and so transactional and so shallow and superficial. I can understand why it makes people feel uncomfortable, but at the same time, could it be projection, which is actually something I wanted to talk about in this uh, podcast uh, as part of a greater discussion about the roles we can fall into in relationships. You know, we mm-hmm. can fall into the, uh, the victim slash blamer, mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other roles that are common in relationships, Eliza? Um, well, I know that in relationship therapy, we always get taught about something called the drama triangle, which is basically you've got um, a victim who is someone that has, you know, his upbringing may have been that he was taught. Sometimes it's like cultural people as well, where their parents do everything for them. And it's this person is thinking, I can't do things for myself. So they want someone to look after them. There may be a mummy's boy, that kind of thing. Or they're an anxious person who is overwhelmed easily. All ethnic men. (laughs) Yeah. No, I wasn't going to say it. Uh, No, but, or it's someone that is just a bit more fragile and sensitive that likes someone that's in charge. Again, Um, all ethnic men. (laughs) There's the rescuer who is someone that feels that in order to Mm. feel loved, they want to feel needed. And so they very much take the approach, which is if you do things my way, Everything will work out. Oh, and yeah. I have to admit, I am mm. definitely fall into that role. And I definitely am always attracted to men needing rescuing. And I'm like, I'll fix Ooh. everything. So but that's this- similar. <laughs> Would you say that's different to the fixer or are they synonymous? Kind, yeah, they're basically the same. Um, mm. But I think the. I, Sometimes, yeah, both of them can actually come from it's like you know everything I guess comes from a little bit of an ego where it's like a you need me like the the toxic the toxic side of the rescuer is mm. when things in your relationship go unstable you go from being this whole like I'm loving and I want to look after you and nurture you to being where would you be if I didn't fix A B and C for you like where would you be if this didn't happen and then that's when you step into the third part of the triangle which is the persecutor. And it's basically you, you're aggressive and you manipulate people to get what you want or you punish people because you never felt, you know, you've, you've got low self-worth. So you step into this role so that you can feel a per- like you're a person of power or that mm. you have power over someone. And what's really interesting is when the rescuer steps into the role of the persecutor, then the victim steps into the the rescuer role being like, I'm so sorry. I've upset you, babe. Like I'm sure I should have appreciated you more. You've done so much for me. Like they smooth everything over. Then once everything's calm, they go back into the original position. So then that person would go back into the rescuer and that rescuer would go back into the victim. So really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I do have to note with a lot of these, uh, uh, I wouldn't call them pathologies, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of naming of various behaviors, there's always a side to it where it can be taken too far, where someone who may very fairly be saying something like, hey, I did this for you. I think it's a bit unfair that you're Mm. uh, blaming me for it or you're not 
sort of uh, reciprocating that sort of behavior, that doesn't mean they're automatically a persecutor or they're always yeah. a victim yeah. or they're always a, a fixer. Not everyone yeah. should put their psychologist hat on for every single relationship. And I'm obviously passionate about this, but I just think it needs to be said a lot <laughs> for yeah. modern uh, society. Uh, I read a book recently and I can't remember for the life of me who it was actually by, but uh, the author was saying that uh, the way that y y you receive love as a child can often be what you expect from your partner. So if, say, you did grow up in a very strict household where uh, love was given to you if you lived up to a certain standard, if you, say, if you did grow up in an East Asian household love mm. was given to you when you got 100% on exams and you studied really hard. So you would try, you had to be doing things. You had to be living up to this certain standard. You then unconsciously expect that from a partner in the sense of like, I asked you to do this thing. You didn't do it. Therefore, you don't love me. And you can mm. therefore come across as very sort of uh, accusatory and become that persecutor when really you've grown up in an environment where you have been persecuted for not doing things and as a result, uh, didn't receive love for it. So you've just, you know, you've, uh, uh, your idea of love is centered around achievement. Now, and I think I have elements of that. Uh, I, especially, I remember with my very first girlfriend, um, she'd always be complaining about things going on where, you know, she didn't seem in control of her life, at least from my perspective, where, you know, I'm always out of money or something like that. And then, I sort of gave her some uh, pretty basic financial advice. And then when she wouldn't actually employ it, I'd get really upset. And I'd sort of think, you mm. don't love me because mm. I know if you told me to do something, I would do it in an instant because I love you. But uh, with age, I realized, well, that was a love style that I was trying to emulate from my uh, childhood. <laughs> and, mm. you know, I'd get mad when she would spend $80 on an Uber thinking, well, I don't feel sympathy for you when you complain about your financial situation if you're spending $80 for an Uber, which I think is pretty fair, actually. That's yeah. a bit dumb. But yeah. <laughs> don't do yeah. that. Don't spend $80 on an Uber. Jesus. Um, unless you have to, <laughs> unless it's an emergency, which it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but the, the point is uh, there was clearly like a love style there that, mm. yeah, was unhealthy and it came from childhood and it's probably quite prevalent in from uh for people who grew up in strict households not that that my house was particularly strict uh there were elements of it but compared to other east asian households or like you know east asian immigrant households it's actually quite liberal <laughs> ironically enough but mm. um there are definite elements with that i was talking to a friend of mine who uh she was saying her ex uh was going through a similar pattern where he was saying things to her like, I, w I want you to, you know, I think it would be better for you and your life and your uh, career if you wake up at this time or if you do this organizational oh. task. And yeah, uh, yeah with, with a lot of men, I think we don't necessarily understand that when women are uh, complaining or venting, they just want to be listened to they don't validations, want validations yeah but not solutions yeah well it just, <laughs> yeah. it just it's naturally ingrained into us for whatever yeah. reason to yeah. offer solutions so he was offering solutions and then he took it personally when she wasn't enacting those uh solutions yeah. as hey you know i've i'm disappointed in you i feel like you don't love me and that that's a very real feeling yeah. there because it can be frustrating when you think okay this is such a 
simple behavior. This is something that just seems so obvious from my perspective. If this person mm. valued this relationship and valued my input and valued my opinion, why aren't they doing it? And it can kill you on the inside. It really, it really can. But for the other person, they can think, oh, this is controlling and you know all of those yeah. uh yeah which terms. was exactly which... how i would feel in that position if he was yeah. like you wake up this time i'd be like piss off <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well i mean there's more to it. <laughs> let's say you're saying like oh i keep getting to i'm flustered when i get to work and then your boyfriend yeah. says well how about try waking up 10 minutes right. early or something okay like if yeah. it's, i think it was more like yeah. that it wasn't just right he, he just came out of nowhere you need to wake up earlier <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> that's good that's a, that's a sugar daddy right there. Right. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, that's true though. The way that we um, observe and interact with our parents as child completely sets out the blueprint for the way that we love as adults. And it's not for some people, it's for every single person. And whether that be you rep- replicate the same love that you received or you replicate your parents' relationship or the unhealthy aspects of your relationship, we do that subconsciously so that we can resolve it or attempt to resolve it in our part in our you know current partners so we do find that people that have a history um of abuse within their home like domestic abuse or family violence that they actually end up they're way more likely to end up in relationships where they continuously seek out partners that are also violent and likely to abuse them because subconsciously they're attracted to those parts where you know that was you know just because your dad was abusive to you that was still one of your first experiences of love with your parents so that's how you feel love now or also it could be you're trying to resolve that and you want to prove you know that these these people abusers can be good people so you're subconsciously resolving that in your um without actually being aware of it and then you leave these relationships and i see this all the time and they're like why have i had five relationships in a row of abusive men and then there's people like me that I've dated heaps of people that I've never come across well very rarely come across an abusive person especially in a relationship I've never had that so it's just this interesting cycle that we need to reflect on if it's not um you know doing the opposite not doing this replicating the relationship sometimes we do the opposite as well to like come from a place of you know I lacked this in my relationship with my parents or my Mm. parents like this and I observed it so I'm going to go out and this is what I think love is. That's definitely where I've come from where I've spoken about this before where my my dad was very, very successful, um, worked a lot during my childhood. We have a great relationship. We always have. My parents though, his love language is acts of service. He would do anything for this family. He would take us on all these trips, do all these amazing things for us. But my mom, my entire childhood, she would always say to me, Eliza, if you find a man you find someone that tells you every single day how amazing you are, how beautiful you are. You tell some, you get someone that just wants to hold you, cuddle you and all these things because my dad showed his love in other ways. Um, and so now as an adult, every single boyfriend of mine has to be someone that smothers me with love. It's what I really need. I'm like, I need that verbal validation like more than you could do a thousand things for me a day i don't care just tell me just tell me you love me or or say something nice that's what i need in order to feel fulfilled because that was the message i was receiving as as a child about this is what love will look like um Mm. so really really interesting and like you know of course being aware of that i can break that pattern if i wish and i have in previous relationships i've got you know i've dated people for many years that have well not many like three years that 
have don't have that relationship style, but it never worked out for me. It was never as um, fulfilling for me. So now I am back in um, a relationship with someone who is very much that verbal love and um, physical attention as well that I like. So, and I do find it the most fulfilling, which is interesting because it's like, do you go against what you think you should go against because you're like this comes yeah. from my childhood or do you go with what is naturally like filling fulfilling your subconscious and healing your childhood wounds if they are wounds even though I never had anything well, traumatic or bad in my childhood ever so it's interesting that's a good point uh, if you find that you're falling into an unhealthy pattern I think that's probably something you should address and not necessarily trust your gut instinct then because yeah both your gut and your heart they always say trust your gut trust your heart well yeah. well actually uh that uh intense love that a lot of what we were talking about in the last podcast can be a subconscious reflection of mm-hmm. uh some of the unresolved patterns of your uh childhood love style so mm-hmm. be uh you know reasonably cautious of your heart actually yeah <laughs> that's why you know arranged marriages make a lot of sense sometimes because you, the, your yeah. wise parents who know you better than anyone and mm-hmm. have hopefully gone through a successful marriage uh, might actually be able to pick a better person for you in the long run than what your yeah. heart desires yeah. but i'm not saying don't you know if you love someone don't <laughs> go for that person <laughs> but, be like no <laughs> Have I love a, you too much. We're not right. Yeah, have a reasonably healthy skepticism of uh, yeah. intense feelings of passion and, and romance because it could lead you down, especially if you had uh, issues in your childhood. Uh, mm. It could definitely lead you down a uh, an unhealthy path. It and absolutely will. I think you see will. a lot of that yeah. now because there's so yeah. many. Uh, there's so much family dysfunction and yeah. more family breakdown than ever. Although I did read somewhere that divorce rates have stayed steady but marriage rates have declined immensely yeah well there you so, go so yeah. you know uh maybe a good thing actually people who maybe were otherwise predisposed to the divorce are, are less likely to get married but who knows it's a interesting mm. trend um mm. but yeah. i think it is important to be some people take it to such an extreme degree uh people in their you know uh, often our age in their late 20s and early 30s with the whole childhood trauma thing and then they just overthink it and and need to have the other person be able to articulate all the nuances of their childhood trauma and how they're dealing with it and i think you know you've got to be reasonable about this i think it's worthwhile being aware of it um and if you do find yourself falling into one of those roles and they don't have to be uh any of the roles that eliza outlined previously but if you find similar patterns especially if they're unhealthy patterns or patterns that end with you being um, hurt, if you find those sorts of patterns arising consistently in your uh, dating habits or relationship habits, it's something to be aware of. And it's if it's uh, particularly extreme and pernicious, it might even be something uh, worth talking to a psychologist about if you can afford it. Yeah, it's definitely worth, like you said, worthwhile knowing, especially if you do have a trauma from your childhood, even if it seems irrelevant, the way that it impacts your love is 
can be so subtle. Um, like we talked previously about how going from, you know, an abusive relationship or a toxic relationship into a, a healthy and secure and safe relationship can feel really boring. And then, and, and you lacking yeah, passion exactly. and you're like, well, it's, I don't want to be too here. nice. <laughs> yeah. And then you lose a feeling and similar to when you have um, a childhood trauma, what happens if you're with a safe person? Sometimes we have what, you know, I guess the youth or us, we would say the ick or we would cringe. And it's that, ugh, it's nice, it's gross. You've got to stop saying the youth, Eliza. You're making <laughs> the... me feel way too old. Okay, we're not that old. Apologies. Stop saying I'm we sorry. are the youth, okay? We are we're the in youth. Our 20s. Okay, yeah. We're in our 20s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. Well, we would say the ick <laughs> or yeah. cringing um, at, at safe and secure people is such an interesting response because if you find that you have the ick at everyone, you most likely have a trauma within your childhood that is unresolved. Um, mm. But thanks to trends and TikTok, it can be romanticized and idealized to have that personality be like, no man's good enough, they will make me cringe, they're all gross. But actually this is um, something that needs to be resolved within you. But like Neil said, it's not... Um, that person's responsibility if you find yourself interested in someone to resolve it for you um you have to do that work you have to see if, well you should see a therapist um it's always beneficial but it is also hard because relational issues issues are best resolved relationally especially attachment issues are best resolved within a relationship that's healthy so um hmm. find healthy people <laughs> please <laughs> that's my advice <laughs> Yeah, if you're uh, if you find yourself consistently having the response of they're boring or they're nice or mm. it's it's something to uh, look. It's out not for. a reflection on them. It's it's yeah. something in you. Yeah. You know, I think when we're young, uh, oh, here I am. You know, separating us yeah. from from the youth. But when we're teenagers, we'll say that, and mm. um, early twenties, we do chase excitement a lot more, and it's just very natural as your mm. cognitive faculties develop. Your um, you become a lot more patient hopefully i mean with social media i, I don't think we have much patience left mm. but uh you want something quickly you want uh that quick hit of, of compulsive romance passion yeah, yeah you want the passion and look that never completely uh goes away but it it's, it's at least wane for me where i'm a lot more interested in consistency and dependability and you know, I still want passion and fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not to uh, an extent where it will uh, rule my life, we'll say that. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting though because you think, is it, does it something that comes with age or is it something that comes with relationship experience? I wonder when you've it's gone through point. like three, because it's very often I see people say, um that are young being like oh you know i broke up with him because and i did this like five times because i just wasn't feeling it anymore like it wasn't the spark wasn't there Almost and it wasn't only yeah until i has done that it, yeah yeah it's only until i went through that many relationships where i realized this is actually a normal part of relationships and the, and the love the style of love and the way that you love will will change with time and you have to learn to accept that and embrace that and find a new excitement in that um and what was it about that that beginning phase or the first year or the honeymoon phase of a relationship that is so what was that feeding within me 
that makes me need to leave my current relationship so that I can seek that. And then I had learned that it was um, like, I guess, validation and, and someone, and right. oh, not validation, actually more so like appreciation, like someone being like, wow, like, you know, when you're in a new relationship, you're saying, this is the kind of music I like, or these are the books I like. And people are like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it's like, an, it's a fun I like adventure. that. Yeah. And people are interested in you. So um, mm. finding what it is that you miss about that, or is it the sexual attraction? Is it this? And then finding a way to integrate that in, in your current relationship. So, mm, um, absolutely. absolutely. and communicating that with your partner, being like, I, I want to, f- you know, I want you to ask me more about, my interests. I want you to show interest. Like, you know, you, you, people feel cringe saying that, but it's not, your partner can't be a mind reader. It's your responsibility to, to communicate that to them. But yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, people can get into the trap of being too consistent and, and secure in the sense of, uh, you know, it's good to be secure. Sorry. That's probably not the right word, but uh they can no longer put effort into things and mm-hmm. um or they can just use sort of tried and tested methods and you know you want to yeah you do want to sort of change it up and and you have to um rekindle that spark i mean i've never really been in that long a relationship so i'm not really the one to say but i'm sure there's people listening to this who have been in five ten maybe even 15 year relationships so uh, by all means, comment if uh, you have any tips <laughs> for people who are in a low point. But it is interesting. I do hear a lot of uh, uh, my female friends have that same sort of... It's either, you know, oh, he was such an asshole and I fucking hate him. Or it was like... Same I just, narrative. I just yeah. wasn't feeling it anymore. Yeah. It's one of the two, you know. And... Yeah. Um, I mean, from the man's perspective who has, I don't think I've ever, uh, has a, no, I don't think anyone's ever said I, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. Yeah. I've had, now I've had, yeah, you're an asshole. I don't want to see you again. <laughs> and in a weird way, you know what? This is going to sound weird to women maybe, but I, you know what? That was actually less worse for my self-esteem because when you hear something like, oh, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Or like you're too nice. It's like, I think a lot of men here, you're pathetic. Yeah. And that's yeah. not really what women mean, uh, but mm-hmm. I think that's what we internalize, hell, myself mm-hmm. included to a certain degree. Um, mm-hmm. So if that has happened to you, if you've had a, 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 a someone break up to you for, because they're saying, you know, I'm just not feeling it anymore, like, you know, the spark's not there again, you've got you to sort of be accepting of that. To a certain degree, uh, yeah, it's worthwhile saying, look, I love you. Like, I don't want this to end and, and be be passionate, be intense, you know, show your true emotions there. But eventually, you do have to be accepting of it and understand that it probably wasn't a you. It's such a, oh, such a cliche. It wasn't a you problem. It was a them problem. <laughs> I mean, it's worth reflecting and, and understanding. Mm. Look, maybe you did take your foot off the, pe- the pedal, so to speak, and there were strategies you could have employed to keep that spark alive and it could be worth reading a few books about that there's no shortage of books yeah. on how to keep a marriage alive you know yeah. how to maintain the spark how to maintain the desire there's so many of those um mm-hmm. again i haven't really been in well not in a long-term relationship that sort of a position yet um 
speaking of roles, I want to talk about projection in relation to these roles because I'm very, I've been very interested in this recently, and I'm sort of halfway through this uh, uh, audio book about uh, Freudian and, and then also Jungian projection mm. and how what we either find extremely desirable and and almost fetishize and romanticize can be some sort of internal subconscious projection that's related to uh, some sort of event or person in our mm. uh, knowledge. Or not, not something that you like don't that like. Not Wait, what was the word? Knowledge. Oh, I thought you said knowledge. <laughs> no, no. N-O-N-A. What does it mean in your childhood? Yeah, I think so. Let's just fact check this. Period of a person's immaturity or youth. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's show off there. There's no reason to use that word. Are you still doing that thing where you learn like two words a week or yep. something? Yeah. Well, good on you. Yep. More <laughs> That's than that. good. I love that. But also projection can be when you see something you don't like in someone else. Yes. It's actually a reflection yes. of what you don't like in yourself. In yourself. And that's a very confronting idea because then yeah. the next logical step is, okay, what are things that I get particularly phased and irritated about? Yeah. Okay, there's a list of things, probably a lot of things that I've said on this podcast. What does that say about me and what I'm mm. shying away from within me? That's that's a confronting thought. I, I, I don't like two aspects that. of it though. Like, <laughs> I think there's one part that um, it it can be like your your values. For example, I get really really triggered when people are anti LGBTR community. Does that mean something isn't within me? I don't think so. Um, however, I also know that I don't actually get along, especially romantically with partners that I find, like I've said this before, like even um, what bothered me about my ex-partner was that he was really like outgoing and oversharing and he was really funny and said all these great stories and things like that. He was always like the life of the party, the instigator of social things. Um, and I found that, sometimes cringe i cringed at it a lot in him and it, it bothered me where i was like oh what are people's pleas are or be authentic like and realizing that actually and then someone raised the point to me being like you guys are like the same person it's so funny and i was like hang on hang on it's tick um same thing happened when wow, my friend so along yeah it's probably what i don't like in myself and i hadn't really realized it until i reflect on it and my friend introduced me to um her cousin once and I thought same exactly same thing I hated this guy though like it wasn't a boyfriend obviously it was just a um, my friend's cousin I really didn't like him and I thought he was cocky I was like you don't have to you're inappropriate like all these sexual innuendos like you shut up like turn your voice down a little bit I didn't like him that much um and she was like, it's so weird because you guys are literally the exact same person. Same thing. She was like, oh. I thought you guys would be best buds because you're so similar. Well, so maybe, um, there you go. Yeah. maybe That's you projection. Like, yeah. Maybe because maybe you like being that particular archetype within a social circle or within a relationship. So you feel threatened when someone else um, embodies yeah. those traits. It could be that or it could yeah. be sometimes I do think, fuck, I overshare a lot and um, I sometimes think it's not my role to go in and 
fix everything and it's not and I get angry at myself when I do that sometimes I'm like I need to step back so when I see other people do it I'm like don't do that don't do that um so it is really interesting and then when you think about even what I'm attracted to I'm really attracted to my polar opposite socially awkward uh very shy is like my (laughs) key interest in um attraction which is really interesting think about how different that is to me so it's that's definitely a projection of some kind which is interesting okay let's take this conversation down a quite a uh, confronting path because i was talking <laughs> to my girlfriend about this and i was saying yeah with certain crimes namely pedophile people mm-hmm. have very irrational hatred of that i mean, sorry mm-hmm. rash- whether we call yeah. it irrational they have a visceral yeah. hatred of that okay yeah. like, disgusting i'll fucking kill anyone who ever touches a child yet as we talk about on the last podcast there's there's just uh, uh you know millions of men messaging underage women yeah. on tiktok as you've said on another previous podcast strippers who uh, are flat chested with braces get the mm. most lap dances at the yeah. strip club yeah do you think it's a societal projection because we're ashamed of our uh, sexual attraction to underage women, and then I, I like had a very, <laughs> it's a very confronting thing to think about. Because yeah, it was a pretty heated discussion with my girlfriend. But <laughs> I came to the conclusion that maybe it is, maybe yeah. because like we've have so many layers of culture, and for good reason. For, for good reason, because this idea that we just need to like deconstruct all of culture and just live our natural lives. Well, well, hang on. If those natural lives are being pedophiles, no, let's not do that. Okay. And in many other societies, it was normal for older men to, um, yeah. in ancient Greece, which was for mm. its time, a very advanced society, uh, they uh, engaged in, in that called pedestry where the sort of upper class men would take young boys under their wing and mm. in exchange, the young boys would, well, they'd just like clap the cheeks for them. Mm-hmm. And do you think after just thousands and thousands, well, se- hundreds and hundreds of years of uh, uh, cultural norms and embedded social uh, ideas, we've suppressed uh, our uh, sexual attraction to underage uh, people so much that we then respond with that absolute visceral disgust when someone uh, is uh, exposed as being a, a pedophile. And I, I think for good reason that culture and, and, and those norms exist, not yeah. at all trying yeah. to suggest some sort of like yeah, crazy of woke idea of uh, <laughs> let's just accept the, the pedophile <laughs> sexuality or something. Yeah, I have said like yeah. I think it should be treated as a mental illness if it's not acted yeah. upon. But if it's acted upon, yeah. it's a criminal act, hands yeah. down. Um, but yes, do you think there's some sort of collective projection occurring? Well, for some, yes. Uh, but I think it, like I said before, I think part of it is going to be the projection, and part of it's going to be your values because you know, as as it's also within human nature. Yes, that is part of it. But the other part is our innate need and. Um, actions towards protecting the youth 
and the innocence and and our children um and that is a very maternal instinct it's also it is also like a you know paternal as well um that everyone is always wanting to maintain the safety and innocence of children and protect them um and you know it's obvious for reasons as to why we are biologically driven to protect our kids otherwise they would just they can't survive without our interest in that. Mm. Um, so I think mm. that would come into play as well. So I think that there's a there's an interesting difference between the, are we talking, you know, what type of pedophilia are we talking? Are we talking 10 and under? Are we talking to about the, the 14, 15 year old girls? Because I think that that type, it can be um, a little bit of that, yeah, projection is in there. And that yeah, a lot of people are battling with that, um, why do I find this person attractive when she's a teenager? And that's so wrong. And like, you know, how I always say in um, uh, our podcast that you never judge yourself on your first, on your first thought, judge yourself on your second thought. So if you think if a teenage girl walks past you and you think, oh God, she's good looking. Don't judge yourself on that. Judge yourself on your, on your follow-up thought being like, hang on a second, that's a child. Um, so sometimes, and whether or not that first thought is actually a reflection of our innate desire it doesn't matter within the society we function the way we do where it's yeah like you said considered criminal activity but it is interesting because then you think about how people that have such hatred towards lgbti communities um, exactly and that's what i was going to say next yep often we find do engage in 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 gay sexual activities and a a lot of that can be cross-dressing um, but never actually coming out as as gay, but basically demonstrating Absolutely. a sexual preference for the same sex. Um, the so that is the, a projection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The people, especially the lawmakers and the 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 classic trope of the Republican politician who is uh, uh, loudly anti-gay is always caught quite literally with his pants down yeah. and another man uh, around his. Uh, Phallus. <laughs> I really don't need to use these words. <laughs> um, and I can't help but think that's projection. However, in... Now, I'm sorry to any Christians listening if I butcher this, but I think, at least from my interpretation and from what other Christians have told me, having a homosexual... Thoughts and compulsions is not actually sinful. I think I think where Christianity differs to other religions is that you can actually it's again it's like the act the act of actually um, partaking in homosexual behavior that's the sin. Um, so mm-hmm. also another uh, reason I've heard for why. Uh, religious zealots can be the most vocal about um, anti-LGBT issues or anti-gay behavior Mm. is that they're grappling with those same desires and it's torture for them to be able to not act on them and to act uh, and to be forced to act differently and, and often make love to your wife who they don't even want to make love to. Mm. And so then they think this person is able to act on these desires and live the life that I want to live, but no, I'm the one suffering for this greater cause. Fuck them. 
Yeah. And in many ways, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. If if you have these desires that you uh, have to repress due to uh, the morality you've uh, accepted, and then you see other people who are ex- who have embraced those desires, that would be uh, a call for projection there. And exactly. I think I think a similar thing can be observed with um, economic conservatives. I think I've even had some degree of this in my life when I was younger, when I'd see a lot of people partying and and doing, uh, you know, maybe doing recreational drugs, drinking, and I'd get mad because I'd think, no, like that's one against my, to a certain degree, against my values. And then, well, I don't want to have to pay taxes pay taxes that's just going to support them to live a lifestyle when I've suffered by not living that lifestyle and not giving into the desire to want to drink every night mm. and to want to have mm. casual sex all the time. And therefore, um, I have a sort of quite a strong uh, level of, uh, I wouldn't say disgust, but uh, contempt mm. for them. And that actually informs... Uh, some economically conservative uh, values I may have, and again, there's a, there's a there's a there's nuance to all of this. If someone is partying and drinking and you know just living a completely hedonistic lifestyle, well, then I think it's pretty reasonable where most people would say, well, you know, I don't want that person to get my tax money as a doll. They're just they actually are just lazy and uh, mm. superficial. Uh, yeah. So That's so true. Yeah, I, pro- projection is more uh, salient than than we realize once we're fully aware of it. And again, like, what am I really uh, triggered about when people tell me what my intentions are? Now, what does that say about? Does that mean, you know, when I was young, there were teachers and maybe parents always saying like, "Oh, this is what you were thinking. How dare you do that?" or you know, I know what your intentions were. Look, I've I've sort of reflected, I think, maybe, but I don't think it's been particularly obvious. I think always parents will have that sort of some degree of, you know, like you deliberately disobeyed me or like you went against my word and, and, and you know, there's certain things like that where it can be very frustrating for uh, young people yeah. and, and teenagers. And then as a result, maybe you get a sort of irrational hatred when someone says, oh, you're being racist or like you're, you're trying to appease white Australia or things like that, which just mm. really gets on my nerves. Um, and then the other, uh, there was one other uh, conception of projection that I thought was very interesting to grapple with. Oh, okay, yeah. And then we see, I guess, the what a lot of people uh, have nowadays, which is a sort of serious uh, detest, you know, a serious level of contempt for what can be broadly described as woke ideology, right? Where I'd still differentiate that from the LGBT mm. community specifically, even though they're so inter intermingled now. Uh, mm. But, or, or if you want to call it victim ideology or just, you know, critical social justice ideology, yeah. wherein it's not, you know, uh, discrimination is not an individual act. It's a sort of systemic or a structural uh uh, mm. manifestation of uh, mm. values uh, of an inherently uh, racist or discriminatory society. Now, I 
don't agree with that because I think it's just completely at odds with basic liberal principles um, and the way that I, I, I have a particular uh, dislike for that ideology because I feel like they've been very controlling to uh, artists, to comedians, uh, to uh, people who just want to talk about scientific facts and analyze differences between uh, biological males and biological females. And does that mean I'm projecting something or like all of society who, you know, a lot of people seem to have that kind of uh, hatred for that ideology now, let's be honest. Mm. So uh, what's going on there? Is there some level of projection? But then on the other side, <laughs> are they projecting? And and then I Everyone's like projecting. our question last week, yeah. I just started overanalyzing the whole thing and thought, well, you could technically see projection everywhere if you wanted to. It but, is, yeah. And you don't want to get into that trap. But I just think it's interesting to uh, think about and and ponder whether uh, there are elements of projection in um, sort of passionate spiels against a particular ideology or a particular For group. Sure. Um, yeah. it's, it's It's very interesting to think about. Yeah, like when you think about women that stand outside, you know, the abortion clinic saying you're a baby murderer and they often are very like um, in a Mormon or, or strongly religious community. And you think about the projection there and it says like, how, how come you get to make decisions or have control over your own body and autonomy over your body? And whereas my decisions get made for me or I have to make these sacrifices for God or, or the mm. Lord or things like that. So everything is... Um, is a projection it's really interesting i think that when you find out um what bothers you or what you fixate on in other people is definitely a reflection on yourself like i know when i was um you know a teenager i used to have the worst self-esteem like i talked about how i like despised um my ears for no reason i like my ears now i used to be like i used to fixate on the, the distance between my lip and my nose, like all these crazy, I had those Whoa. crazy like body dysmorphic issues. And I'd walk down the street and internally, I would be judging and looking at every single yep. person mm. I walked mm. past, everything. And I was so full of like hatred. It was really bad. And then that's when, you know, like I talked about in the last podcast, I decided I'm going to stop giving a fuck about this because like what good is this doing in my life? And <laughs> I have never ever since then had a negative thought about my body or anyone else's. Interestingly, I mm. never ever look at someone else and think you're ugly or you're not attractive. Never had that thought. The only times I'd have that thought is if someone said something gross and sleazy to me, I would think, ew, <laughs> but never from someone walking past. So that was a projection of mine. And, and when people come at you for anything or judge you for things. It's, it takes a lot of that anger out when you think this is something that person is projecting. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Which is an interesting approach. Yeah. It can actually give you a bit of empathy there. And Exactly. You know, thinking about some of the rhetoric you see on, on Twitter and, and, and TikTok, uh, something, for example, like I, I hate all men or, you know, this kind of really mm. uh, strong uh, in, invective towards men. And I was talking to a friend of mine about this. Um, because we still, we, we, we seem to value masculine traits within women, right? Oh, you're a strong, independent woman. You're a go-getter. You're fierce. You're a bad bitch. Mm. And we value, and we're trying to value very sort of more feminine traits in, in men, right? Like he's so, he's so generous. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's empathetic. Now, uh, to a certain degree, both of those sorts of traits are healthy in every individual, I think. 
but I th that on average, I'm not saying this applies to everyone, but on average, I think um, we have a certain biological disposition to emulate uh, more of those traits based on uh, our well, our, our hormonal makeup, yeah. uh, which actually can be altered. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot to be said there. But is that a sort of projection going on there where um, on both sides of the, I guess, the, the, the gender war debate where uh, men who are particularly vicious towards women on social media, you're a slut, you're a fucking bitch, you're just like getting your tits out or whatever. Is that a projection because they've suppressed uh the aspects of their personality that are feminine and they aren't able to uh act out uh their sort of kind gentle stereotypically feminine behaviors that they maybe are uh you know uh, maybe do have a dispossession to act out and similarly um on the female side is the whole like men are trash men suck they're not living up to the basic standard all those sorts of cliches is that a projection as well of uh you know i i can see this those uh aspects within myself or uh you know i've had to suppress certain masculine traits within me um mm. i know similar to you i know when i was younger i was uh pretty insecure about you know being perceived as the you know more sensitive guy I was doing drama and being sort of academically inclined and I I loved footy I loved sport but I wasn't necessarily that good at it um and I had this kind of irrational I wouldn't call it a hatred but a, a sort of very uh simplistic view of uh the footy boys and, and masculine men as, yeah. you know, basically they're all boorish meatheads. And then mm. when I actually adopted more masculine and what I would call healthy masculine behaviors um, from my early 20s onwards, which has served me immensely well, it's improved my uh, mental health, my physical health, mm. my uh, my dating life, my, uh, um, my confidence, almost every uh, everything has been beneficial. Uh, I then stopped having that. I didn't. I now no longer think, you know, all guys that look a certain way are just meatheads that are dumb. And yeah, yeah. I can see now that I was sort of fearful and and quite insecure. And as a result, I was projecting a a sort of a, a simplistic stereotype onto uh, all men who maybe emulated certain characteristics. To, Such a good point. Yeah, yeah, to to make me feel safer. And I think. Mm both uh sexes tend to do that to some yeah we want to validate and, and all sexualities yeah. do that yeah you know we, yeah. we see it with being a comedian it's part of my job to to find patterns and stereotypes and archetypes mm. but uh whenever men mimic women they always like really overdo the like and, and no hardly any women actually talk like that and similarly when women emulate men, it's like, oh, oh, fuck, all my dumb yeah. men, all the, the, what I'm doing. <laughs> so I get no, no men yeah. actually talk like that. But it's interesting the way we can um, uh, stereotype uh, people and, and create uh, archetypes hmm. maybe to fulfill some sort of uh, 
need for comfort because we've either suppressed certain uh, behaviors within ourselves, or we're projecting and we're insecure and we deeply long for a, either a feminine woman or a masculine man or we want to be that um, and we feel like it's out of our uh, reach and hence the um, the hatred. It's, it's, it's probably it's both. Yeah. yeah. Because you raised a really good point when you brought up about, you know, the gym the bros when you're um, doing drama and how projection can very much come from a place of, of jealousy and you'd be really interested. Like, you know, it's interesting to see how, especially on social media or maybe TikTok or it's more, um, I guess, accepted to speak. Uh, you can just slander anyone, I guess. And a lot of beautiful women get a lot of hate from girls being like this is so cringe why'd you do that or you tell me you're not like obsessive with yourself and things like that because but then when it comes to the opposite gender when men are commenting on these videos they're like you're gorgeous you're beautiful like you're so strong and you're so independent i love that like so um it, it and i feel like those come that comes from um a place of, of jealousy and you know mm. our ego will make us believe things about people so that we can feel right and we can feel justified and we can feel validated. Like, yeah, that person's a piece of shit. Like, yeah, she's got the most perfect tits, but like, she's she's so gross, her hair. Like, just these really unhealthy and immature ways of thought. But another aspect, which I was thinking of when you were talking about the, um, you know, women saying, oh, men have it so easy and men saying women have it, all these aspects is this kind of, there's a something called like a, um, a grandiose narcissism and also a victim's narcissism where the first one is where you think I have worked so hard you didn't have to go through any of these struggles you didn't have to do any of these things I deserve this like I have come so far like this I've made it to the top this is mine and then the victim side of that is is the um, uh, nothing good happens to me. I never get anything. I've never won anything. I've never made any success. I just, I need this one thing. I deserve this one thing more than anyone here because I have had the shittest life out of everyone. And although they're the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, it's both coming from a place of narcissism and our ego. And, you know, like I've said, um, in, in previous podcasts is that our ego will do anything just to prove itself right, whether or not it hurts you or someone else in the process and whether or not it's actually correct. We will convince ourselves of anything and give ourselves any narrative to feel that we are right. Um, and a lot of actually, oh, yeah. I think that book that we were talking about, um, in last week's podcast, um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, even though I haven't read it. I know that a, a lot of that is about realizing that, you know, you the whole world does not revolve around you and you are not deserving of every, and not everyone is going to come across fame and these amazing opportunities where it's like, everything's so wonderful. And it's learning to accept, you know, what can you find enjoyment in your life? What can, what can be enough? And like, not thinking that everything is about you and and your ego so mm. um i think that's something that people really can't yet or don't often grasp is understanding that everything that rubs us the wrong way comes from something mm, internally something and yeah. we need and it can say oh well it's because i stand up for women's rights or whatever or i had this experience so therefore but go a step deeper like be humble, yeah, humble yeah. in your own thoughts and be like, does this come from my ego? Cause I can admit, you know, I get threatened if someone says this or whatever, like, 
someone I knew studied sexology once and then I was I actually recognized straight away I felt uncomfortable and I was like is that jealousy and that you know it dissipated <laughs> that feeling in a second but um it's you, you yeah. have to acknowledge it otherwise you're just blind and unaware I've found that uh if I come across men that I perceive as a threat or if I perceive as funny just, you know overall <laughs> comedic uh, well no this will be interesting right when I overall is just just more desirable than myself I figure out ways where I'm uh better above them in some aspect right I'll be like yeah. oh yeah, yeah he's very he's like six foot four and like got mad abs but yeah I'm I'm famous so it's okay yeah well, like I'll do, and I, it's so unhealthy like I've got to stop doing that but it's just I can't help it. <laughs> or I'll, I'll I'll find another comedian. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, but I'm better looking than him, so it doesn't matter. And then just, I have like, a house. Something I got to. Most comedians gotta don't find, make money. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. I got to find like yeah. one thing that I'm better than that other guy. One up them. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. gotta stop doing that. It's not uh, you know. So if a guy is just it, 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 you know in every aspect. Uh, superior to me who cares doesn't yeah. really matter um it's not like i'm directly competing against him uh yeah. in some sort of sporting tournament so you know it's not that big a deal and i think uh men actually have a tendency the, the stereotype is that oh, women are so competitive it's like well like hang on mm. men are also extremely yeah. competitive yeah. it's in our nature to be competitive yeah. a healthy look when you look at if i look at that guy and i think well okay look at his six pack i want to get that you know like i want to i want to get to know that guy what are, what are the like practices he uh uh employs to have such a impressive physique rather than like oh he's probably a dumb meathead anyway or like yeah. well i'm probably yeah. funnier than him so it doesn't matter that's so unhealthy okay you got to just be like all right well if this person is more successful than me or is better looking than me or richer than me or whatever it may be um what can i learn do I, I just... can't remember who said it, but I remember reading somewhere. It was like, if you're the smartest and most successful and best looking person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Like oh, you should be like finding like that. people that are better yeah. than you, that you can a a admire them and be like, shit, that's amazing. How'd you do that? Like, you know, that's why we tried to start this. Well, not we, like people trying to start this momentum about like, especially girls backing girls because girls can be really Men get competitive and they're like, well, I'm just going to go to the gym and get mostly our women. We'll just slander someone um, and really try to use, you know, that gossip to to take them down socially. Um, and mm. so now, now this movement's come around being like, girls need to have each other's back. So when you see someone really hot, don't feel threatened by them. Like I used to, when I was like 17 and I had a boyfriend, I'd see, and we'd be hanging out with this girl and she'd be gorgeous. I'd be like, okay, whose boobs are bigger? mine but she's so pretty mm. and then i'd be like to my boyfriend did you know that lucy had um chlamydia like it's like that <laughs> i used to do that shit too Damn. but now if i was with my boyfriend and and we saw a lucy and i'm very secure with my partner um and and can acknowledge that there are better looking more successful better women out there than me i would just tell lucy in front of my boyfriend girl you are so gorgeous like you are a, such a goddess and i'm so proud of you for doing abc like and it's it's healthy for me and it's healthy for her mm. like it's way it feels better for me as well Rather than coming from a place of jealousy and, and pettiness, which I have certainly been at, um, it's it's not that fun. <laughs> but then, don't you think it can also be such an obvious 
kind of projection when someone's way too flattering as well. Like when guys will often be like, oh yeah, like it's a bit of tall poppy syndrome as well. Like, hey, here he yeah. is, a superstar. <laughs> but but you're getting the round right because you're so rich. That kind of, you're yeah, like, all right, bro. True. Like I can sense a bit of uh, sort of jealousy here, even though it's probably being expressed in a reasonably healthy way. That sort of, that sort of like very Aussie yeah. ribbing uh, is much better than, like I was a dickhead anyway, kind of thing. Yeah. But um, even that, it can it can come across as, and I I, I have sometimes observed this. I think in 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 girls where like they're just so overt with how complimentary they're like, oh, you are so hot. Like you're you're just um, I can't even believe how hot you are. Um, not that I'm not suggesting you did that or whatever, but it. <laughs> I do that it, to every. I'm a complimenter. It comes to everyone across I meet. sometimes. I'm like, all right, like settle down. You know, like. like <laughs> Do you still maybe think it's a it's because look we're probably uh, programmed biologically to 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 be competitive and to yeah. feel a sense of insecurity, which can be healthy to some degree, right? It's 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 motivating. Uh, the the healthy kind of insecurity is like, man, that guy's got that guy mm-hmm. is very successful. I want to work hard and be as successful as him. Whereas like the the bad kind of insecurity, that guy's successful therefore he's automatically an asshole and you know that or like therefore the system is completely flawed and look he could be an asshole the system could be flawed but are you employing all the practices you possibly can to be successful right that's the first question you got to ask yourself um and like a lot of guys will do it where like if there's like a i reckon especially aussie guys will be like oh yeah here he is the fuck the pretty boy right dang yeah. how many has he fucked this week <laughs> like that kind of thing which again it's probably like a pretty healthy outlet for for it but i think deep down that probably does come from a place of uh insecurity and jealousy it's just yeah. a very kind of like male aussie way to deal with it not that yeah. it's any there's anything like i it's said so I think funny it's yeah. probably a pretty healthy way to deal with it yeah. Um, hey, here he is, fucking like the superstar. Hey, model, the catwalk's just walked in, right? Or like <laughs> that kind of, you know, that kind of yeah. very sort of tall poppy syndrome type outlook. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then that same guy will tell your girlfriend like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he, he's so good. But you know, he cheated on his ex, right? Oh, he's so great though. Like yeah. that kind of like subtle yeah. dig. Yeah, pick me, right? You got to be careful. Yes. Like I think both, yeah. both uh, genders have to be careful of someone who, you know, behind closed doors is very critical of pe- people they're maybe friends with, mm. or because that's the that's the cliche, isn't it? You know, like uh, when you're alone with your girlfriend, she'll just bitch about her friends. <laughs> and like, it's uh, I think that's more prevalent in younger women. I definitely have yeah. had girlfriends who have been a little bit critical of their friends, and I think, why can't it Isn't this your yeah. best friend? Jesus, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then we do that, don't um, we? Yeah. But uh, I, I don't think I've done. I, I, I'm trying to like notice when I'm fall into that trap of, of, you know, something like that, and and maybe tone it down a little bit, or just, um, at least try and emulate that kind of what I think is a bit more of a healthier way of expressing it, which is that kind of gentle ribbing or sort of negging of men, basically. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hey, Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger's here. And, you know, deep down, the guy's probably just, like, super insecure that a, like, beautiful sculpted man has just walked yeah. into the room next to him. 
Yeah, um, and then it's like a Betty takes steroids. <laughs> oh, the steroids <laughs> thing. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A, that's a common one now. It's just yeah. you know all over. Oh, she's on steroids. Having said that, it's it's a lot more prevalent than than we realize. Um, I don't. Yeah, I try not to just automatically assume steroids. There's certain markers that do make you question <laughs> face. That's just, anyway. that's just science. That's just science. Like, true. Yeah. True. It doesn't true. Matter. If a guy, and if a guy did take steroids, if it, well, if you've just gone on like one or two cycles, and and which they usually don't, but ah, oh, look, there I am. But uh, it's their life. They can. Yeah. Let them do it. Yeah. Let them you do can. it. Let them have that like five percent body fat, unbelievable body. Um, it's not doesn't affect your life. Um, exactly. Yeah. One of the good points you said about um like people that go over the top complimenting and like where the where you can feel that it's inauthentic mm. um and i'm reading a book at the moment and she talks about how actually being a people's pleaser is uh is a, a manip- uh, an unconscious manipulation tactic um oh. and that if you're someone that lets yourself be walked over and things like that all the time. You're always doing things oh, to people. Sense, I yeah. definitely fall into that. It can actually be manipulative uh, without you, you understanding. Um, you think, you know, there's good intentions, but it is something to be conscious of because often people that have this people-pleasing behavior also think of themselves in like a like a higher, put themselves on a pedestal being like, I do so much for everyone. I will never that's, say no to yeah, anyone. That's like, where the problem lies. Blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing, um, and then I, it's not healthy. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. If you're just a doormat, uh, if 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 you are uh, genuinely altruistic um, yeah. and you don't f- harbor any resentment for that, then yeah. I think that's very noble and virtuous. Yeah. But sure, if if you are uh, letting people walk over you and then expecting uh, exorbitant amounts of sympathy and uh validation praise, for it yeah then that's certainly an issue and that maybe yeah. is a yeah that is unconscious manipulation there um exactly so that's a good one to look out for as so many again you don't want to get into the habit of just uh over analyzing everything and seeing uh oh, projection jealousy you know it's, it's a lot of these yeah. are just very human um we're naturally yeah. going to be competitive and we're going to yeah. measure ourselves against uh other um people especially of the same sex so i think like you don't have to sit down and analyze every single aspect of your personality because we've we've covered a lot today but i think (laughs) talk think about it as they come up like when you when you have a thought about someone being like oh what a skank think about it just think hmm where'd that come from or like why am i only attracted to this kind of person Mm, then think about that yeah oh these guys he gets he just gets girls because he's an asshole that you gotta yeah yeah good thing about that really <laughs> like, yeah is he, is yep. he just because he's an asshole or are there other things that he maybe has that is helping um exactly. but i think that's a good point to uh conclude this one mm-hmm. hopefully that was informative engaging and got an interesting insight <laughs> into the way my overthinking over analytical mind operates yeah Thank you very much for watching and or listening, guys. Crush Organics with a K. Use the code Neil. CrushOrganics.com. SolidGPS.com. Use the code Neil as well. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Share this podcast. If you live in Sydney, I do a weekly show every Thursday. If you'd like to ask us a question, 
neilcohacker.com slash podcasts. And we will see you next time. See you next week. <laughs>